Welcome to Build with Rob. I am Rob Deerdick, CEO and founder of The Deerdick Machine, a one-of-a-kind venture creation studio. We are a company that creates companies by systematically fusing art, science, and magic through a process we call the machine method. The art is the creative vision and the constant shaping and refinement of an idea. The science is the proven methods and time-tested fundamentals of business. The magic is the intangible, universal luck that provides an unexplainable push towards success. Each guest on this show is one of my do-or-dire partners and co-founders. This show is an inside look at all the companies that we've created and the lessons we have learned along the journey. Today's episode, we have Ryan Wanger, the Wang Star, founder and CEO of Where To. Where To is an enterprise travel booking software company that was acquired by Flight Center Travel Group, one of the world's largest travel agencies. Where To began as this crazy white space consumer travel app and morphed into this enterprise software. Ryan is someone who had a great idea but had zero knowledge of the travel industry, software development, or anything else involved in bringing an idea like this to life. But he had the grit, the determination, and the other crucial do-or-dire qualities that drove him to succeed anyway. The story of where to really underscores the importance of strategic capital. All investor money is green, but not all investor money has the same value. The right strategic capital at the right time can often make the difference in a company succeeding or failing. Ryan Wagner, welcome to Build with Rob, the Wangstar. <laughs> I mean, where, where, where do you get that type of nickname? Well, Gangstar changed my life in 11th grade. Oh, really? <laughs> And, uh, You're trying to tell me the Wang Star goes all the way back to Gangstar. Well, it wasn't until Instagram was, you know, that I needed a handle that was obscure relatively that I realized it was a good segue to my last name of Wenger. Okay, okay. Um, let me let me describe you in do or dire terms. I refer to you as a rebel do or dire who will push all envelopes to make it happen. Uh, you know, and this is based off of the idea of. Watching how you built where for into where to, you know, from a consumer product into a enterprise business software, ultimately to to an acquisition. It was an unorthodox and wild style journey, to say the least, you know, and before us, of course is this extraordinary hardware of victory that we have here at the Deer Deck Machine. You know, we're talking, this is borderline Super Bowl level trophy, okay? <laughs> this glimmering, beautiful gold with where to on it. And of course, to support an exit, we have our liquidity vintage, right? This is 24 bottles, all signed and numbered by me, so that they last in the realm of history in all Deer Deck Machine businesses. Because, you know, our connection with you was early on at the very early development stage of the Deerdick machine as a whole. But I, I'd love for you to give the listeners some background of not only kind of your a quick overview of your history, but what led to you coming up with the concept of wherefore in the first place. Thanks for having me and thanks for uh, the awesome hardware. No, it's great. I, I'm from Woodstock, New York, obviously like a rebel stronghold for a long time. <laughs> and uh, my my parents were both hippies that raised me uh, just with like a outside the box perspective. So, 
that made me who I am. And they were both like educators. My, my mom's a teacher and my dad owns a bookstore. So I just like grew up with a lot of information and knowledge and outside the box thinking. And it led to all types of problems early on, you know, like I didn't do, I was in special ed for a couple of years in elementary school. Cause I, they, everyone was like, what's going on with this kid? And eventually it, it did me well, you know, and then I did pretty well in, in college, went to USC, went to Hastings, went to law school, wanted to be a lawyer as any like critical minded, many critical minded people want. And, and so uh, you graduated Hastings with a law degree. Yeah. And what, what legal field were you planning on going into? My plan was to get into politics, oh, but, man. but, uh, and, or public, man, or, wang star in politics, man, it could have been, a, it could have been another wild journey unto itself. Hopefully it still will. Oh, really? I, that's true. It's very true. So, uh, honestly, like I wanted to do public interest, but by the time I saw my student loans and, uh, I just. I couldn't do it. So I went into private practice. I worked at a big law firm doing corporate litigation and went on that journey for a while. And then as far as how I came up with Wherefore, it was just traveling. Traveling is one of my favorite things in the world. And I love traveling to new places. And I always had a very limited budget. So I always wanted to search by how much you had to spend. You know, like it wasn't like I want to go to Vegas or I want to go to Paris. It was like, what's the furthest place I could possibly go with $777? Okay, but so you're trying to tell me that this is strictly you're working at the law firm and you love to travel and this is a personal problem. Uh, because it didn't exist. There was no sort of search engine that was price-based, right, that gave you options. And this was just 100%, I wish this existed and I'm going to go make this myself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then how do you, as a lawyer, right, because here's, as I've evolved as a business person and began to build so many businesses since we first started in 2016, you know, it's really this idea of, you know, it takes this sort of do or die or mentality, um, you know, that, that, that you know, fortitude and grit and ambition and determination and like work ethic and, and self-belief. But if that's aimed at a unique sort of opportunity, a white space opportunity, if you will, then there's value there. But the big chasm is the knowledge and experience. You know what I mean? Like you'd never built a, a software. You'd never, you like, like you'd never built a company, right? Like yeah. this was literally, you learned all of this while working for the law firm, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I learned that building a startup is a lot like a fable that I learned in, in, when I was young. It's a medieval fable where a starving guy approaches a village and he finds a pebble and he takes it, he knocks on someone's door and he says, um, I have this ingredient for rock soup. All I need is a kettle and water. And the guy was like skeptical. He's like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll give it to you. He does it. He tastes it. He's like, this is so good, but it just needs an onion. And then he, he goes, okay, we'll go to the neighbor who has onions. Let's do that. So he knocks on the neighbor's door. His neighbor brings onions. He tastes it. He's like, how is it? It's so good, but it just needs a, a beef bone. Do you know anyone in the village that has a beef bone? So then it's like, oh yeah, the butcher has one. But at this point, why not? So after, like he just makes the rounds and makes literally like this delicious soup and the aroma gets better and better and people start coming naturally to put their ingredients in the soup. And that's what I found building a startup is, is like. Extraordinary. Let me just pause. Please, world, soak that in. 
We got taken to a journey of rocks, a delightfully tasting, great smelling rock soup that is setting the precedent for this man's entrepreneurial journey, which I have so much appreciation for. So go ahead. How did you how did you put together the rock, the onions and the bone to, to make that soup? So you just need the idea and you need the crazy self-confidence, maybe overconfidence to say that you can turn it into something. And then it's about, you know, using that one ingredient to convince other people that have their ingredients to do their part. So my boss, Darren Einstein at my firm was an entrepreneur and a very smart, very creative guy. And I, I, told, I just shared the idea over lunch with him very passionately. And he was like, I'm into it. Let's do this. I'll bring the money. So we built it. And did you have the name at that point? Like, when did you land on the name? My sister, my sister came up with the name, Shana Wenger. Yeah. She's a creative director. And she was like, where, she gave me a few options. She's like, where can I go for.com? And then she shortened it to like, where for.com. And I was like, yes, that's it. So built it in spare time, like about eight months. I was still working full-time as attorney, hired some coders in the Ukraine to code it. Again, because you don't have those skills. Uh, and something I've learned is that it's okay. You know, you don't need all the skills to build a, a product. In fact, you can't. But to me, even finding coders is a complex undertaking under itself. Like to build something that, that requires creative engineering that's being driven by your mind, you have to essentially hire somebody that at a cost-effective way can realize this vision that you're essentially making up. Right. That's that's what I find most remarkable of what you're able to uh, do in that phase. Thank you. You definitely have to be you got to be agile because you're not going to be great at hiring engineers and managing them at first. So we had we went through that that, that team. I made a mistake and then we got a better team. So you make mistakes yeah, and you just have to recognize them early and pivot fast. Yeah. And, and, and another thing that's kind of the theme of this episode for me is all of the different types of money that you can get along the way in the capital stages. Cause you really experienced a lot of different styles of capital through the whole journey. And, and Darren was the first one. It's really friends and family, close, rich uncle, homie. It's really <laughs> like, can somebody just believe in me? Yeah. And he was that, right? Like that's, totally. that's where the dream starts is it just takes one person. Uh, and, and then tell me, you know, sort of what was the process that then led to me? How long was it until we met for the first time? Pretty early on. Yeah. Probably a few months after the first prototype of wherefore.com, Darren was introduced to you and, and we came into the, your, your fantasy factory and, uh, yeah. And to give you for that, for that time frame. I really just wanted to start to explore all different types of industries and markets, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, had just launched the machine and gotten rid of every single one of the businesses I had. I got rid of 13 different businesses and only kept Street League and Superjacket, my production company. And I really wanted to build out the portfolio. And this opportunity that was presented to me of all places through my Ferrari salesman, Beverly Hills Ferrari, my guy Amir, uh, who also is the salesman um, for for Darren, right? That's kind of like the connection, and you know, and then I, you know, I had to meet at like you know the Lermitage, like patio, you know, full Beverly Hills style, like you know, <laughs> for the iPad to be pulled up and like you know, showing and, you the prototype, yeah, yeah. And, and even how like it was funny because Amir, you know, he's a hustler. 
And he showed it to me on his phone. Like, this is going to be so you doing, you and doing investing, you doing businesses. This is going to be so big. And he said it in the easiest, simplest way. He just said there, you no longer, the difference with this is you just put in the date you want to go and how much money you have. And it'll tell you where you can go instantly in my mind. It was this like adventure, right? It's like, oh my God, this is extraordinary, right? Like, so that was like one sentence hook for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once we sort of initially met and, and really begin to to talk about sort of the opportunity, it was really early stage. Right? I was still practicing law. Yeah, you're practicing <laughs> I law. I case Right, right. Okay. So you had to go from that meeting to like do like a full like litigation? Yeah, yeah. And that, that went on for a while. You know, when we eventually pivoted to business and we went, you know, we've, we were discovered by that Fortune 10 company, you know, I, I showed up to their headquarters like seeming like I was a much bigger company. I was still practicing law. That's it. That's it. Look, so before we even jump up to that, let's, you know, because that's one of the more remarkable aspects of, you know, the wherefore to where to journey. For me, it was like, I'm a brand guy. I just, I love the potential of what this software and website could have been as this sort of millennial adventure tool. Mm -hmm. It was mind numbing. Okay. The most exciting thing about this product to me and why I still believe in it so much as a consumer product is you just put in $500 and the three days you want to be gone and it pops up a map of the world of all of the places that you can go for a flight and a hotel room, you know, and it's like Bangkok for like $600 for three days. It's like, what? Yeah. Our our first user was a secretary in, uh, or personal assistant in the Bronx. She was like 21 years old. She never left the country and she went to visit like like fam, like far, like distant family in Chile. Yeah, it, and you you would have never known that you could go to Chile for the weekend for four hundred dollars, like right. in because up to that point, and and really, I'd say even to this day, like it's still about where do you want to go specifically, and then you just get all your options, and then you pick your cheapest option. Is essentially how it's still done to this day. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's simple. The concept is very simple. It's, and look, I, I don't want to harp on it, but I'm going to say it again. It's still the most incredible consumer product ever. That is the adventure, like choose your own adventure. Like, And then look, here's the beauty of its potential. And this is where, you know, my brand mind was getting all fired up, and I'm trying to like, what about this? And, you know, like, you know, I'm like, let's turn it into a verb. We got to make it like Google. And this idea that you just followed somebody that, you know, three days to Chile, then, okay, that three days is up. You just put in another thing. Like you have 400 now. Now, where do you go? Like back then I was like, man, this is like its own travel show. Here's all this potential. Like, I mean, selling the dream of like what we could do to like turn this into a brand and get so much earned media and drive down customer acquisition costs. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, the beauty of the model is it's just reoccurring revenue because it's like every time somebody books again, you get paid off and it's just just this perpetual thing. Once they begin to use it, then it's shareable between groups and then it just grows on itself. You don't even got to spend. I was all in on the <laughs> consumer product. Yeah. And, and I would like to, to kind of hear the story. You had a super significant in that sort of, um, rain in that sort of time frame when we were trying to get the deal done, cause I was all in, you went to South by Southwest 
and had this most insane like adventure of your own that led to not only a deep amount of exposure, but also to a meeting that would change the trajectory of the business completely. Lay, lay out that that one weekend at South by Southwest. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were, as always, like almost out of money. <laughs> and we had one shot because I was on, I was invited to present on stage at South by Southwest, wherefore, and the product had just gotten done. And we were in our last, you know, $100,000 or so. And, you know, that was, I planned, this is going to be our moment. We're going to get a ton of earned media when I'm on stage presenting Wherefore, among another like eight competitors at South by Southwest 2016. So I go there, I present my heart out. We got like fourth, fifth place, like nothing special, you know, like there was, there- <laughs> Man, look, I was getting, I was so in the story. I couldn't remember. I'm like, I think he won. I think he won. <laughs> and we got fourth place. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It was not the impact that I expected. And there was like a, you know, six or seven people that wanted to talk to us once I got off stage. Hey, and let me, let me say something. Yeah. The rebel do or dire that will push all envelopes to make it happen is is its spirit starting to to shine here because you knew like hey our initial seed capital is on the way we don't know if rob's gonna be in mm-hmm. right like you went and hustled your way to get into south by southwest like you were constantly in that era of getting in front of all the right people anyone that you could to sell the dream and get exposure uh, not waiting around hoping somebody would find out about you, which was an, another key to who you are and ultimately your success. Totally. You know, in fact, Darren was like maybe the thousandth person that I had pitched wherefore too. And then after that, you know, it was every day, 20, 30 people for investors and for partnerships constantly. So I'm on stage South by Southwest. We didn't do as well as expected. A few people are waiting for me off stage, which is cool. Like they were mainly like investors interested in putting in some money. But uh, what I really needed from it, which was this like initial splash of users, didn't happen. So my wife, who was a co-founder with me, um, and was like help, helped like manage our tech team. That's another answer to your question of how did I work? You know, do this uh, without tech experience, manage a software team? Well, she she really stepped up. Yeah. So she's with me, and we we uh, we open up the pamphlet. And we, for the South by Southwest, and we see that there's a TechCrunch private party like an hour later after the, after the event. And I told my wife, I was like, we got to go there. We got to get in. No matter what we do, we are getting in that and we're going to find someone from TechCrunch and we're going to, we're going to get into the publication. And, and again, in, in for clarity, right? It's like, especially as it relates to raising capital in the technology space, like any coverage whatsoever in, in tech crunch is going to open up an unprecedented amount of doors. Totally, totally, totally. I mean, that was my goal. That was my singular goal from South by Southwest was to get into tech crunch. So we're in line waiting to get into the bar that they had bought out. And, and we just see like people trying to get in, being rejected, getting to the front. We're now like two or three people from the front. We're like, what are we going to do? My wife talked to the doorman, tries to convince him to let us in. And I just sneak behind his back 
Ah, you got man. It's class. It's it's the ultimate in classic bait and switch, because the well, what is it? Skirt. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had been practiced in that. Order. And then the, did she follow you back in, or were you just a, like man alone in the? She, well, she was working at Deloitte, and Deloitte was like a co-sponsor, so she eventually did like find someone from Deloitte to let her in. So right. she got in like half an hour later. I'm still not convinced I would have gotten in though. Yeah. So my, my perfecting the art of sneaking into clubs from Poughkeepsie, New York, and yeah. <laughs> age 16, 17 paid off as an entrepreneur. Hey, every skill you learn along the way can eventually help you someday. So I'm in there. I tap a guy on the shoulder with a TechCrunch badge, and I'm like, I, I have this idea. I'd love to tell you about it. Um, he like rolls his eyes, you know, and he's like, all right, fine. Tell me about it. So I tell him about it, just like I told you, just like I told Darren. He's like, you're saying that that doesn't exist? It's like, that's right. He whips out his laptop, takes me to the corner of the room and just interviews me for 40 minutes. And the next morning he texts me saying that he published the article. And within an hour, we had like 150,000 users on the site and we had a million users by the end of the day and broke our servers. You know, we had to call up the engineers like more power, more power. Next day it went from TechCrunch to Lifehacker and Lifehacker went to BuzzFeed and it ricocheted around the global uh, media landscape. It was in TechCrunch, you know, by the end of the week. It was in, it was on television in Tel Aviv. Look, I love that there is a TechCrunch, <laughs> that there's um, Czechoslovakian, like, what is that? Like, <laughs> is it check crunch like yeah and i well, yeah. i don't know cuz i could i couldn't read it <laughs> so look, hey that's also like you know again that testament of look nobody's going to give it to you you know what i mean like fight for it and that's the magic side you know you could have also he could have just said no but the fact that it does happen and it drives the users for the first time and now your business is moving is the magic side of positioning yourself to get lucky you know yeah i mean you got to remember people have done a lot harder things than whatever your startup is so yeah. you can't take no for an answer whatever your idea is is you're going to hit a roadblock and that's what makes it valuable when you cross it and you find a way around it because again, people, we've got to the moon, we've extended life by 60 years or the last hundred <laughs> years. Like your little, my wherefore was going to find a way around. Yeah. And I have that attitude towards every part of being an entrepreneur. Okay. Well, let's talk about the other major thing that came out of South by Southwest that really changed the trajectory of everything uh, that you did. Tell that story. So my next uh, tech conference, I was running the circuit at that point, was uh, New Orleans Collision Conference about two months later. And I got off stage and same thing. Like This was the second time I got off stage to some crazy adventure. I got a phone call from an executive of a Fortune 10 company who uh, at first I thought it was you know, like a sales call. I almost hung up hung up on her. And then I, she's like, I'm, you know, I used your site. I booked a trip to Switzerland from a diner with my kids in the background. And uh, it only took like five minutes to book the whole thing. This is game changing. She's like, I don't know if you know anything about the business travel landscape, but you've leapfrogged what they're trying to do. So if you can like turn, if you can, if we can license your technology for business travel, I'll make my client your first your first customer, and I think you're going to have a home run in your hands in the industry. Yeah, and and so what what it meant was the consumer game was 
falling to the back because now this Fortune 10 company, by just getting their business alone, you have this massive business overnight, right? And then when you think about the sales cycle on the on sort of the business enterprise side, it's like, wow, okay, I could be trying to get all these consumers and converting a few at a time versus if I start to get these massive companies, every single one is worth this giant amount of reoccurring revenue. Like, which was like what was appealing and also made me sad, yeah. made me sad, right? Yeah, because yeah. like I knew that like, man, this is an unusual opportunity. It's really like left field for one of the biggest companies on earth to come in and say, hey, hey I think there's an opportunity to take what you created and apply it to us. And if it works for them, you know, everybody else is going to do it. So as sad as I was knowing that like my consumer adventure dreams were, were to be a part of this were slowly fading away. I knew that it was like a really, really, you know, sort of unprecedented and crazy opportunity for you. And, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, what sort of led to the transition and, and how did you look at that opportunity? Did you know immediately or did you have to kind of formulate it and put a plan to it? to make, make it make sense for you? Or did you really believe this is this incredibly lucky opportunity I should capitalize on? What I knew is that it was very hard to convert the consumer traveler, yeah. right? Because despite over a million users, we had like, you know, a dozen yeah. bookings. So we were starved of revenue. Um, and that's because people are not loyal to travel brands. You know, they're loyal to like a carrier so and a price. And they didn't know who Wherefore was. So we'd teach them that they can go to Morocco this weekend. And then they'd go to Expedia to book it. Yeah. Because there was no seat. There's no pro, nothing proprietary in our pricing. So I knew about that problem. And I had at that point some ideas on how to, how to you know, get around that. But I didn't need to because this Fortune 10 company blew a hole and like just, you know, just leapfrog that problem as much as I could have ever imagined. And, and let me say this about like, you know, by this point I'm invested yeah, and I'm not, you know, the best advisor at this stage because that sort of conversion aspect and sort of that sort of problematic aspect of having somebody come see where they could possibly go, then go use it to go to a more trusted company without having that built in. I wouldn't have contemplated that, right? Like right, right. my experience would have just said, let's make a great brand and yeah, they'll yeah. all use it, right? Yeah. Like, no, they're going to use this great brand to go to Expedia, right? Yeah. To, to be inspired to go to Expedia. And I, and I think that again, you know, that's where my blind spot as an investor advisor, as being kind of one of your early capital partners was less of value that that became even more once you started to transition into the the enterprise software and then ultimately as you built that out you needed more capital only you had this new story and now you were reaching out for more strategic capital like tell me the process of like you know we used to always joke the plane would be skimming the trees and you would you would be able to like fill it back up with gas like you know you really got really good at hunting capital and getting it right in the nick of time when were you really focused on how do I find the right capital now that I'm developing this product for this Fortune 10? Well, I think the first, like to answer your first question about how did I handle this pivot, like, you know, consumer, we're passionate and there's this opportunity. 
I really took it like step by step. I didn't have a master vision. Like I, I just went to their headquarters and got the con brought, came home with a contract, a multi-million dollar a year contract to pivot our technology. Uh, and then I tried to do it all. You know, my, one of my biggest challenges as an entrepreneur is I tend to try to think I, you know, we can do everything at once. I really need someone to say, no, you know, you can only do that. And, for, and that was Brittany. That was a person that you, that you brought in that showed me on a spreadsheet, you know, you can't do both. Yeah. And look, and I, I think from our perspective, it was your experience led to just running and gunning, like hunting opportunity, getting and pushing, but that operating experience and then ultimately tying that to clear financials was that blind spot. And part of, you know, at, at that stage, what we could offer was like, hey, this is a brilliant COO mind, CFO mind that can help you get clarity on the financials to to understand the implications of the cash flow of, of how much runway you have to build this product and ultimately how to create value yeah. in, in the right amount of time. So you, you know? br so you brought in like smart operators that were generic, yeah. right? Yeah. That could do anything. Like Brittany right. was literally like in the truck part business. So totally. COGS. So that was great. We had that locked in. But the next thing we needed was a VC with credibility and connections in the space that we were entering. Yeah, because up until that point, you know, we were in our weeklies. Yeah. Um, Bi-weeklies with just me, you, and Darren. Yeah. Right? And those, were, and those were fun days. Oh, man. You know what's so funny about it is like... One of the best, my most like remarkable moments ever is we had a biweekly meeting in this office in Beverly Hills. And then our following biweekly meeting, you had moved to Denver and the entire company to Denver. I never had a discussion, never heard it. And it's like, what? And like, because you had the program, you had found the entire team, the, everything was so much like more reasonable out there, everyone managing the entire product. And it, but it was like, and it was the right thing to do at the time. But in your wild style, like, okay, this is the right move. This is what it was. That happened like in between a biweekly meeting, which is always something <laughs> that was so funny to me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But look, at that point, you're now, hey, this is a different level. How do I find more strategic partners now that I have more credibility with this Fortune 10? We were introduced to stage venture partners right when we were, you know, pivoting right in the early process. We weren't sure which direction we were going to go in consumer business. And they're a LA-based um, seed round enterprise investor, and you know they were very intrigued by us having this multi-million-dollar contract and not even a product really, and the whole backstory. And they invested. You know, they put in the first like the next big the next money after you, and they ended up being absolutely vital because they when it came time for our A round, you know, a yeah, few months before, later. But before we even get to that, like. Cause that was a big change, right? Yeah, yeah. Like in that, that time, because it was also, they were just part of that entire, I, I think it would be called the A round, right? Like where Jeff Freed came in. No, that was the seed round. Okay. So the seed round. You were pre-seed. Yeah. So if I was pre-seed and me and Darren, if Darren was angel, I was pre-seed, then, then now here's sort of the seed round where the business has transitioned to enterprise software, you know stage is is this great like smaller shop but deeply connected and like silicon beach and knows everybody all the all the different levels of capital and strategic capital that could ultimately potentially help you but in between then and then jeff jeff freed is more of a 
you know, a connector unto himself with relationships to strategics literally everywhere. Yeah. He's a really unusual, like almost like a, like a family office representative type of investor where he has access to a ton of high net worth uh, investors. And then a, just a Rolodex almost that could go into any industry, right? He was a super, a, super connector. Yeah. Like a, he's a super connector. Right. And, and so now it's transitioned to this entirely new feel, right? Because it's like, it's not just me and Darren. It is now you got Jeff and both the stage guys are on the board and now the board meetings become real, right? So it goes from like, hey, it's kind of loosey-goosey and Ryan's like running and gunning. What was it like to kind of make the transition to like, okay, I here's I, I can I have to start formalizing this and, and answering to these guys. What was that transition like? Hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so real. It's so real because you really you thrive in being able to have total freedom. Yeah. And when people who look, because you gotta understand, for the most part, like it was my own capital, Darren's own capital. Now you got Jeff and and Stage who are managing other people's capital. Yeah. So there's a lot of responsibility. They are on the front lines of co-signing this deployment of capital, outlining where they believe the opportunity and ultimately the return is. And so like their way of of looking at it is is much more shall I say militant. And it's really funny because it was this transition of like the struggle to feel comfortable, but almost like as equally for you as equally for the rest of the board. Me and Darren were used to it. And we would play the part of like, hey, this is this is let's just get him into some like like rails here. I used to always tell you like, man, I'm just trying to you're the racehorse, man. And right now you're just banging into the side of the rail. I'm just trying to build you a track <laughs> that you can go 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 full speed on. Right now you're just slamming into the rail. Yeah, you know? I remember that. Talk about that transition because that really was the evolution almost like where you were forced to kind of evolve as a business person, a CEO, and and really begin to grow? I mean, I don't think I did anything like smart in that process. I just kind of, I kind of uh, pushed through it. Yeah. You know, that kind of experience, like managing personalities and, you know, hard personalities just takes trial and error, right? Or maybe other things that I didn't have. So I just kind of got the battle wounds and pushed through it. And yeah. then- you know, a year later or so, like we had a different composition and we had stage, uh, we had uh, emergence capital, whole different type of beast. Yeah, and, and let's, let's, let's talk about that transition, right? And, and here's the beauty of someone like stage, you know, like, and I, I, and this is one of the biggest things that I've learned from sort of the, the where for to where to journey is just the power of that growth strategic growth capital being experts in the actual space that you're in, right? And and because they have just sort of this much deeper breadth of knowledge, uh, both from employees and, and standard practices and just sort of first-in-class ways of like creating value and they, they even understand product and like tech stacks and these things that are, are super foreign to a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And... 
and it's it I take it back to the value of stage, right? Where they ultimately their position as a smaller shop is, hey, we can get in early, then we can guide them to the perfect strategics, right? And and so they immediately set out and got you cuz I don't think it was just emergence. I think you you really ended up meeting with a ton of different great strategics. Yeah, like, they 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 got me interviews with like a dozen great investors. Yeah, and ultimately Emergence is focused in software as a service, right? Yeah, yeah. And which which led to, you know, a ton of different opportunity. And you know, I'd be curious as to like your first sort of meeting with them, and ultimately there, what made you feel like, hey, this is like the group that's that's really who I want to partner with to go to this next level. I mean, it, mostly it was like getting into like your top school. You know, they yeah. were they were the they were the best. Um, and what we wanted to do. So, and they had, and so on top of that, they were just awesome people. Yeah. Like J- Joe Floyd, who got a seat on our board, um, Jason Green, they both took board seats. Like they led the deal and they were just incredible. Like they were, you know, they were really kind and like their integrity really shined through above everything else. And, um, they want, you know, they were, they, they deferred a lot and they brought in the right people and they just, it was just a different, different experience. And it was just crystal clear that they were the right, the right shop. Yeah. And look, I, I think another thing that they, they really did is they put the CEO first. Yeah. You know, it's a very unusual where, where totally. in order to get that deal done, they asked for a ton of additional options in the option pool to, because, because of your, inexperience and younger sort of sort of learning cap raising and, and notes and sort of what happens in conversion and how you ultimately get diluted. You ended up getting significantly d- diluted considering this is your baby that you created and you're the CEO. And, I, and what I what I thought was really thoughtful about how they approached the opportunity too was, you know, even though they asked for a significant amount of uh, what I would consider way above industry standard in the option pool, it was still, you know, done with this intent of making uh, the business great, right? It's like not only give you a chance to get get back way more equity, but also position the company to be able to bring on a super experienced operating CEO for you to take it to the next level, right? Which I, I just think that just, it lends itself to this deeper value than just money, mm-hmm. right? There, This was all of these things that then had to be, you know, we also asking your existing board, all of us that like, hey, we got it from here. And everyone did the everyone did the right thing. Right? Yeah, they all had to get hard, hard calls being asked to step off the board. Yeah, look, you know, we, when, we they, all... when they each helped get us to where we are. Yeah, and everybody was like, "Okay, this is what's best for the for the company." And and it was because of how much we believed in emergence and like them co-signing this and putting their that much capital in and being we knew that our money's good now. Right. And it's kind of like how, because it was, you know, it put you in a tough position, right? Because it, you had a friendly board, 
right? Of a mixed group of characters, right? But it's still like your original co-founder, you know, the serial entrepreneur skate homie, uh, you know, your two early stage venture guys and Jeff Freed is like the super connector. It, it was a, a really manageable board versus like when they asked all of us to, hey, step away, let us essentially be a three-person board where the two of us can basically help Ryan make decisions. And it made a ton of sense. It's like, we all knew that like we were all over our skis at this point, you know what I mean? And even stage that has, you know, a ton of knowledge and deep experience and being around a ton of these uh, enterprise businesses and software businesses as a whole still knew that, hey, it was their dream scenario to have this handed off to those guys. So, you know, I'm curious what that, what was that initial transition like? Was it kind of like a relief to where like you felt like now here's these group of guys that can speak the language and now we can build a plan together? Yeah. And when they were like, you know, really wanting to put a CEO, because this is your baby now and you've been the CEO the entire time. What was it like to go through that process? That's tough for, for a lot of guys and, and gals when it's their sort of thing. And now there's there's someone with that that experience. But you you really embrace that. Yeah, it was it was a, another journey, you know, another side, another branch of the, of the journey. You know, it was a lot easier because it was. On, on, on my terms, you know, like it, it originally was prompted because we had to move to New York City. My wife got an awesome promotion at, at Fox that required that we move to New York. So I remember I called up Joe and I said, hey, we're moving to New York. This is one of those like in between board yeah. meetings. Hey, hey, but hold, hey, look, <laughs> look, look, rebel do or dire, man. You look, he's already, he just did the giant A round. He's like, Hey guys, um, not going to be able to be in the office every day. I'm headed to New York. It is, it is another prime example of this man's wild style. <laughs> you know Exactly. So it's like, I don't know, maybe eight months after, after the A round, we had, we, we had to move to New York. So I planned on just coming you know, every week to flying from New York to San Francisco, because we had now moved our office from Santa Monica to San Francisco to have a proper Silicon Valley company. So I planned on flying and I said, I called him up to tell him, no worries. You know, I'm going to be making this flight every, every, every week. And he was like, that's a disaster. I've seen that happen before. It's not going to work. You're going to burn out after four months. And then I remember like, there was this like pregnant pause where he was like, but I suppose we could tap one of our like expert uh, executives in our network to be the CEO. And if you wanted to take a different role, like, and be more high level, we could do that and you can move to New York and you could fly in, you know, periodically. So I, you know, I had no idea how to take that. I took like a month to think about it. And, you know, I, w what I actually said is like, I'm happy to meet anybody. Yeah. So they put me in front of a, handful of people and I got to know them and I met Chris Yeh who just seemed like the right guy. And I just, again, slowly like, you know, slowly accepting that it was a better thing for everybody. And what helped me personally realize that is that I had done a 360 management review for my, like at this time, maybe eight employees yeah. and just to see how I was doing and get feedback. And it wasn't very, it wasn't pretty. Wow. Good for you though, man, it, that you have the self-awareness to even 
like take that time and energy and be willing to be take. So it's that also feedback. called self-interest. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I guess it's true. But what was the worst takeaway in your mind from it? Well, it was just, I, you know, all the things you don't want to do as a manager is what people were saying that I was doing. Micro- micromanaging, being inconsistent, like just kind of like flying by the seat of my pants. I guess no surprise to you. Man, the revel do or die. Man. Yeah. So, and I, you know, so I combined that with this awesome guy who had been head of product at Box and helped it go public. And he had a illustrious career before that. He had all the right pedigree. It's like, this is it. This is the right move. And he was very cool. Like he wanted to like work with me as like a, you know, he wants to me to stay, stick around. Like I wasn't planning on riding out into the sunset and there was no indication from anybody, not emergence and not from Chris, that that was what everyone was trying to do. So with all that, you know, tied together in a little pretty bow, I was like, this is the right move. And, and I did it and I became president and Chris became CEO. And then ultimately Chris, uh, along with emergence, carved the path to the acquisition, right? And, and, and kind of run me through what that experience was and, and ultimately how that went down and really what it felt like to kind of put a an ending, if you will, on, on this entire journey with that acquisition? Well, um, we, we opened up 2020, you know, with some amazing opportunities and some other huge companies to really start to, uh, start to take off. And then, you know, then COVID happened and our revenue plummeted 95% in one week. Like I had just come back from my wedding and we, this is March 8th was my, was our wedding. And then like March 10th, you know, our main customer stopped traveling and everything goes to shit. And it's really, it's, it's enterprise software in the height of the pandemic yeah. when nobody's, yeah. you know, flying I mean, anymore. The only worst hit industry, I think, are restaurants, bars, yeah. clubs. So it was an existential problem for us. And we either had the choice of, hibernating through it and like firing 80% of our company um, and just hoping that we were still there at the end a year or two later or doing an acquisition. You know, there was, you know, I, you know, and during turmoil, there's also a lot of opportunity. So there was a lot of big companies that were interested in acquiring us in like a distressed sale. Yeah. And again, that was another one of those, you know, incredibly hard times where like for weeks I didn't sleep just thinking about the right move because each one has its, its, its winners and losers, right? Like each, each of those outcomes were like better for some people than others. And, you know, I'm the only person in the company that really was there from the whole, the whole time. So I only, I was the only one that knew everybody and was like trying to find a way of like moving the blanket that's too small for a bed to cover the most people. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we got a couple term sheets and, um, you know, I ran my own process. Chris and I kind of independently like sought companies to do the acquisition, just to have the best array of options. And Flight Center had the best terms and promised the best treatment of our employees. And most importantly, promised to let us keep everybody in the company. Yeah. Every person. So, and this is at a time when, you know, the, the people are losing their jobs left and right in the travel industry. So, and, you know, we were able to get a decent financial outcome for our investors, given the situation that we're in. Yeah. So I took that as a, as, as a win. 
Yeah, and look, I, it, to me, it's an extraordinary win. I think it's it's the idea that you got to go through having zero experience and just trying to solve a problem for yourself and just being this relentless, like anything, pushing every single envelope, every single door, right opportunities, literally making uh, your own luck every step of the way, all the way to the to the acquisition. And to me, it's it's an extraordinary win. And it was something that I was very thankful to be a part of, right? Because it is... It just shows like what one person's will can make happen, right? And and that is that that do or die or mentality and that just willingness to to keep pushing uh, and never give up till the very end, you know. So I'm honored to be able to give you this extraordinary championship trophy, these amazing liquidity vintages. And, and look, and, and another thing that, that I've been doing is, you know, I built the Do or Die or Entrepreneur Foundation. And to me, you know, it's, it's this foundation is, is really about giving people an opportunity to pitch their business plans that, that don't have access to capital, that come from underserved communities and that we can grant them the money, you know, and this foundation is for the people that have your type of spirit, you know, that ultimately like will go so hard and unlock every possibility to make something a reality. Uh, so I'm putting a hundred thousand into the foundation on behalf of where to. So I, oh. I you know, I just want to tell you that. Thank you. And that's, that's, you know, that's awesome. Just want to tell you again, like I've learned one of the most valuable lessons when you want to play the game of venture, you know, look at these stages and know that even the smallest check at the seed round with the right strategic uh, can help guide you to the ultimate strategic investor at an A round uh, or a growth round that's going to ultimately be the cornerstone of of your business surviving uh, and or thriving. And, and that's, you know, worth its weight in gold, both through this process and ultimately as I continue to build companies down here at the Deer Deck Machine. There's going to be some great ones down the line for you. I, I know that. All right, but well look, man, it's, it's been a real pleasure. Enjoy the wine, enjoy the trophy, and and again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I have one slight correction to make, yeah. which is that it's so far from you know being just me that that led it forward. Like I, I also want to thank my team that's still there. Yeah, you know, Wilbur, Kevin, David, um, they were there from day one, pretty much, and they. They, uh, they're still there, like leading the charge and their passion and their commitment is why we're here. And all the people that report to them, like our team is like, you, you know, you, you haven't met them, yeah. but they're like every bit as deserving of this as, as I am. And uh, I'm, I'm starting a blog for, for some, uh, you know, periodic ideas I have and articles. So it's ryanwinger.com. There it is. And find me on Twitter at wangstar1. Look, find the wangstar. And get into this man's rebel lifestyle. <laughs> Ryan, thank you. Thank you. If you think you have what it takes to be a doer dyer and partner with me to build an amazing company, or if you want to join our growing community of machinists to be the first to test our new products and help us manufacture amazing, go to DeerDeckMachine.com. If you haven't listened to the Deerdick Machine Primer, I encourage you to go back to episode one, which gives you insight into our machine method to really enhance your experience of the rest of the episodes. 
Make sure you subscribe to Build With Rob wherever you join us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts and videos. And most importantly, I can't say it enough. You got to put a vision to whatever you want to achieve. You've got to build a plan so that you think it's even possible. Then you have to give it everything you've got. See it, believe it, do it. We'll see you next time on Build with Rob.